0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Beau Bruce. Today we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King. And that is the topic of our Gospel passage, yet it seems an odd choice at first. Jesus as king seems to be celebrated in the context of his passion, specifically his interaction with Pontius Pilate. This message is just a tiny excerpt from the gospel we read on Good Friday. As we just heard, this short passage specifically focuses on the kingship of Jesus. The Jews have delivered Jesus up to Pilate because they want him dead, and they don't have the authority to kill him. That's why despite Pilate's insistence that the Jews deal with the matter in the course of this story, the Jews refuse. If they're going to get a death penalty out of this, it's going to have to be through their Roman rulers. If we're familiar with the story, we also should note here that the charge against Jesus has seemingly changed. Recall the Jews had charged Jesus essentially with blasphemy because he wouldn't deny that he was the Son of God. Even though that would be a capital crime in Judaism, the Roman government really wouldn't care that Jesus was claiming to be the Jewish God. The only analogous charge would be to say that Jesus had claimed himself to be king. That would definitely upset the Romans, as they were the ones who installed and deposed the various rulers who were all subject to their ultimate leader, the Roman emperor. However, we see Jesus essentially remain silent on whether he is a king or not. Just as he did not admit to being the Son of God, rather he merely failed to deny it in the trial before the uh, Sanhedrin. All he said was that they would indeed see the prophecy of Daniel fulfilled, and that was enough. And likewise here, when Jesus speaks to Pilate, he's very careful in his words. He makes clear to Pilate that although he is indeed a king, he really is not someone Pilate needs to be worried about in the sense that Pilate Or the Romans are worried about. He's not here to gain worldly power and indeed what Pilate does not know is that God himself is standing before him in total control of everything from before the foundations of the universe now and for eternity. Ultimately Jesus will be crucified by Pilate's order because the crowd was worked up into a frenzy and the last thing Pilate needed was a serious disturbance on his hands that might reach the ear of the Emperor And might have Pilate removed from his position of power or worse. Pilate inscribes above the cross the crime king of the Jews, which as you recall upset the Jews who wanted it to say this man said he was king of the Jews, to which Pilate famously quipped, but I have written, I have written. So why is this so important? Why do we set aside one of the precious few Sundays we have every year to focus on Christ the King as we're doing today? Why is the focus on this interaction with Pilate rather than some other mention of the coming kingdom of God? I think to fully understand this, we need to go back, way back to the Old Testament. Recall that when Moses dies, Joshua, which again is the same name as Jesus when it's turned into Greek, leads the people over the Jordan into the promised land. And this is followed by a period of the judges who are appointed by God. But they're usually not very faithful to God and often are downright evil. The book of Judges ends with the line, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of 1 Samuel begins with the birth of Samuel, the prophet who will anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Before that, God himself was to be the king of his people. But Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted a king. God warned them that this was probably not going to turn out so well. He told them the kings were not going to listen to God and that they were going to be a burden to the people. Quoting from First Samuel, "...the king will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants." He will take your men servants and your maid servants and the best of your cattle and of your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people kept begging. We want to be like the other people. So God yielded to their request. And in fact, things went just the way God said they would. The kings then turn out to be too great for Israel, with the exception of David, the early part of Solomon's rule, Hezekiah, and Josiah. In the end, the Jews are conquered by the Babylonians. Babylon was captured by the Persians, led by Cyrus and Darius, who restored the Israelites to their homeland, where they would be subjects of the Persians, then the Greeks, and then finally the Romans, bringing us back to where we are now at the time of Jesus in our story. But well, let's turn back to David for just a moment. David wasn't perfect. We all know he was a murderer and an adulterer, but he repented. and Most importantly, he never, ever forsook his God. We know that the Old Testament is teeming with prophecy about an heir to David who will be truly righteous and reign forever. We heard it today in our Psalms. And in fact, that promise is tied to an even older promise. That promise of God to Abraham that in his seed, And St. Paul insists in Galatians that that's singular. In one of Adam's descendants, all of the families of the world, all the nations will be blessed. A similar promise is made to David and recorded in the Psalms. One of the sons of your body I will set upon the throne. And historically, David did something very significant. He subdued all of his enemies, both inside Israel and outside of Israel. And established the seat of his kingdom in Jerusalem, the city that he built himself. And this is where I wanted to bring us back to Jesus. Because in Jesus, God Himself subdues all of his enemies, both inside and outside Israel. In fact, this is exactly what we heard in Jesus' exchange with the Pharisees just a few weeks ago, when they were all asking, they were asking Jesus all these questions, and he said, Now let me ask you a question. When the Messiah comes, what that when the Messiah comes, the Christ comes, whose son is he going to be? And they respond, David's. And then Jesus says, well, why then does David call him Lord? And he's quote, then he quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, why do you call him David's son? There, we see the kingly function to defeat all the enemies to put all the enemies beneath the king's feet under total subjection and defeat. The enemies within the kingdom and without the kingdom, just as David did, and by doing so establish a glorious kingdom. And this is indeed what Jesus does, both in the physical world and in the spiritual world. The Jews, who ironically wanted a king to free them from Roman rule, reject the very king that will succeed in doing that. And they do it, the Jews do it, by claiming they have no king but Caesar. The king who will not only defeat Rome in a few short years, but nation after nation, even until today, not by legions, but by the blood of martyrs. Worldly leader after worldly leader will bow their knee to the one, the only, the true king, Jesus Christ. But that's not even the point. The enemies are not the nations. Their defeat is just a consequence of defeating the real enemies. The enemies of God are not people at all. Not even sinners, but sin. God dies for sinners. God dies for sinners. We cannot say that enough. There are so many in our world who want to tell us that our beliefs as Orthodox Christians show that we hate people. We must be sure our constant refrain is, no, God loves sinners so much that he died for them. God hates sin, and sin is not what defines you. In a society where we like to define ourselves by our affinity groups rather than as individuals, and some indeed label themselves by their sinful behavior, We must be clear that God loves and respects them all, and we as Christians must always do the same. God comes to save sinners. That is you and me. That is everyone. We are all sinners. We are all called by God to repent from our sins. We are all called by God to not do something we really would like to do. We are all called to stop doing something sinful that to us feels like it is essentially our nature, And yet it's not our true human nature That's a delusion from Satan that convinces us That we're unable to overcome these enemies in our life But to overcome those enemies, we will fail If we try to rely on ourselves We have to rely on the King, Jesus Christ To overcome those enemies And And then when we stop making others our king When we stop begging God for a different king then God can succeed in stomping out the enemies in our life and world of sin, impurity, evil, disease, and injustice. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He reigns from the cross, trampling down death that Paul calls the last enemy to be destroyed by his death on the cross. The true King lays down his life for his subjects. Our King Jesus really does rule the universe and has already defeated our enemies. In fact, on the liturgical crosses of Orthodox churches, the titulus on top of the cross doesn't say King of the Jews, but the King of glory. Jesus' glory is manifested by his crucifixion, the cross being the throne from which he reigns victoriously over all his enemies, over all our enemies. From there he's raised and glorified, and thereby raises and glorifies all of humankind to share in the kingship of which he was a part with the Father and the Holy Spirit since before the foundations of the world. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, let us repent. Let us change our minds, change our course. If we are not truly acting as subjects of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, then let us renew ourselves. Let us bow the knee to our Lord. Let us show our love for him by following his commandments. We will find that the more we do that, the more we permit the Lord to fully actualize his victory on the cross by submitting ourselves to him as king rather than asking for a worldly one, we will be his people. He will be our God. We will become free of our worldly attachments from sin, from death, from evil, from injustice. We will be free of our enemies. And we will find ourselves in the glorious and heavenly kingdom now and forevermore. O Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.